0: Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Kids, you can be dismissed. We're going to be several different passages this morning uh, in Scripture, but starting at Psalm 139. So if you have your Bible and want to turn there, um, go ahead and do that, Psalm 139. Uh, We continue week two of our series uh, talking about calibrate and what we value, and the idea again, is to just recalibrate ourselves to the vision, the purpose, the direction, the values that God has for us. Um, and one of the things that if, I don't know if you guys got a chance this week to go visit the new website or not, um, but if you haven't, go do that. Um, there's a lot of new stuff there and there's a lot of blog stuff there that's designed to help um, Engage your heart through the week about where God is taking us and some, uh, a lot of cool stuff that's on there. So uh, take a look at that, northchurchstl.com. Uh, but on there, in our values uh, section, reads this. And I read this last week, but I wanted to kind of restate it again to kind of reset our minds around why we're here and, and why we've decided to do this series called Calibrate and talk about our values. It says this We do what we value. We spend on what we value. We have finite resources of time, energy, and money. What we value predicts how we will spend those resources. And so we had a band of brothers, our men's minister, yesterday morning. We talked a little bit about values, and we talked about spending on values. And it kind of occurred to me this idea that if we have $20 in our pocket, we can choose how we're going to spend that $20. Um, And so we think of spending in terms of money a lot, but what I think this series will do and what I hope that it does is begin to help us to understand that time and, and energy are resources too, that we get to decide how we're going to spend them. Just like we decide how we're going to spend, if we budget X amount of dollars to spend on a particular thing, we're going to spend that money on a particular thing. We have the same idea the same idea applies to, to what we do with our time. And and what I, I want to put in front of us, in front of me in particular, is what we do with our time, how we spend our time, predicts and uh, not just predicts, but but really sheds light on the things that we really value. And so I want to kind of war at, at that a little bit, the things that we value inappropriately and the things that we value appropriately and push our minds and our hearts towards valuing the right stuff, and for us at North Church, we've pushed us ourselves towards this idea that we value truth, people, and God. So last week we talked about truth, and this week we continue to talk about what it means to value truth, and we're going to go in particular to two psalms in particular, and then a little bit of lead up between that, uh, give a little bit of background to uh, one of the psalms. So we're starting in Psalm 139. Uh, In a a book that I'm reading uh, by Tim Keller called Prayer, uh, Tim says this, Prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. We can insert truth there. Prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. Um, And we can synonymously put value into loves there. So truth about ourselves allows us to... Engaging in prayer allows us to see the truth about ourselves. And engaging in a prayer that allows us to see the truth about ourselves brings us to the place where we can reorder what we value. So they kind of become self-fulfilling prophecies. And... Uh, Psalm 139 is a perfect example of the fact, of that fact, what Keller just said, and a model for us to both pray and use as a teaching tool to shape our prayers and our mental posture when we pray. So let's dig into Psalm 139, but understand that it's not... This is a good use of our time as we engage scripture is to see the point of it and what it is. Psalm 139 is not just a chapter, it is a prayer of David that can help us to engage God through prayer. So, as we understand and think through what Keller just said, and as we understand that we're here trying to value truth, that this is a prayer helping us to value truth and value that God has truth and wants to expose truth about who we are in ourselves. So as, as we walk through Psalm 139, I want you to see this. The prayer and the scriptures take us to t- truth about God and truth about self. All right? Prayer and the scriptures take us to truth about God and about self. So here's a a great exercise. Anytime you do Bible study, and in particular, anytime we study Psalm 139, is ask yourself two questions. What does this scripture reveal about God? And what does this scripture reveal about me? And those two things, it's all of scripture is taking you to a place where you can apprehend truth about who God is and apprehend truth about who you are. And when we do that, from the context of deep study and meditation and memorization and prayer, we, our lives are reordered and we begin to love God, know God better and understand how he relates to us. So let's go to Psalm 139. Again, let's come at this In two ways, understanding this is David's prayer and understanding that this will reveal truth about who God is and truth about who I am. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Right off the bat, this is going to be redundant throughout this whole thing. God knows. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. This is... There is never a time, never a thing, never a thought, never a moment where God didn't know it completely. And that's a truth about who God is, and it ought to be a truth about who you are and how you approach him. It ought to change us. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, oh Lord, you know it all together. I love the, the word picture there. Even before a word is on my tongue. Think about, like, imagine that, a, a word on your tongue. And before it's there, before it's, you're ready to, to utter it, God knows it. This is God. This is God exposing truth about himself to you and to your heart. And valuing truth is us attacking this, thinking through it, and understanding who he is. Verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. There's no place we can go to escape who he is. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I can't attain it. Like David is smarter than anybody here and he can't grasp the, the depth and the severity of God's complete and utter knowledge in every case and every situation all the time. This is our God. This is the truth about our God. God is revealing himself and who, the truth about who he is to us through this prayer of David. And, and again, let's, let's not just see this as a chapter of the Bible. Let's see this as David's prayer as a guide for us to pray. A lot of times, even I will come to a time, okay, I've set aside this time this morning to pray. Dear God, what next? Oh yeah, um, somebody's struggling with something. But allow this The truth of Scripture to be your prayer. Just as simple as even reading it. Say, God, would you cause my heart to engage this and know who you are? This is a prayer, a model, an example, an exposition for you to know what it is that we ought to be praying. Verse 7 Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? Okay, a lot of this so far has been exposing who God is, but I want this verse in particular to expose who you are, who I am. If, if we need to, to utter this, chances are we don't believe it. Chances are, practically speaking, in a recess of your spirit or soul or whatever, your brain, in a recess of there, you think that somehow you can escape God. God. It's the truth, and this is exposing, when we really dig into Scripture, especially this one, it begins to expose the truth of who we are, and it's fallacy. Are you you with me? Am I I, I by myself to think that there are moments in my life or times in my life that I can escape God knowing who I am or what I'm doing or the recesses of my brain? And it's, it's just this not true. And this is the beauty of scripture is that it shines a light on us and leads us to truth about God and truth about self. And then it wars at that in such a way to change us. So when we're exposed to a truth about who we are, like we think we can run from the truth of who God is, when we're exposed to that. We begin to be changed and understand that we can't. We can't hide from God. We can't flee from his presence. David then goes into a, a few verses here talking about places that he goes to try and hide. If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the shield, that's death or maybe even hell or the place where I don't think God is most, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. I love verse 10, exposing God. What does God do for you? What does God do to you? What does he do with you? He leads you. Even there, your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me. Again, David exposing in himself an ability to think that he can hide from God. I'm in darkness, so God can't see me here in this darkness. Not true. Like, and, and here's where I read into this. In the middle of our most oppressive sin, in the middle of what we think is the most disgusting sin about us, we hide. We lie to ourselves and hide and convince ourselves that somehow, some way, God can't see that or God can't redeem that or God doesn't want to have anything to do with us. Not true. Like one of the greatest weapons that a pastor can ever give to people is to, is to show you how to expose lies and, and convince you of the truth. This is what you are capable of and this is God's response to it. You are capable of thinking that you can hide from God or somehow God doesn't want you in his presence. You're capable of that. But the truth of the gospel is speaking this to you. No. You can't run from me. You can't hide from me. The darkness cannot cover you. This is truth. And the point of this sermon in this series is to get us to the place where we value it so much that we will spend all that we are and all that we have to get it, because at the end of it is joy, is relationship with God, and it's worthwhile to hurt for, to labor for, to suffer for. verse 12, Psalm 139. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Even the darkness is not dark to you. I wish I had a sign like, like the, the movie studios or the TV studios have that says, applause here. i give you another chance. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for the darkness is light with you. For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. If, if God is that, under, that full fill of knowledge, filled with knowledge, if he's that filled with knowledge, don't you think that he knows the, what, this, the proclivity to sin that's inside of you? And yet he still sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Do you see the response of David as he's been praying here when he's apprehended truth about God and about himself? Here's his response. Wow! My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Oh, precious to me are your thoughts, oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Like, there's a lot going on in God's world but he's thinking of you you how vast is the sum of those thoughts of you if i were to count them they are more than the sand i awake and i'm still with you oh that you would slay the wicked o oh god o oh, men of blood depart from me david exposing the truth of himself here in this prayer that i am struggling People want to kill me. I'm struggling. God, help me in that. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do not loathe those who rise up against you. I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. That's powerful language. This is the truth of David's heart, proclaiming it to God. And then he utters great verses. Dave has already quoted them this morning when he led us in repentance this morning. They're great verses. Worthy of memorization. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I want to bring a couple of thoughts to us. First, valuing truth helps us root out sin. When we value truth, it helps us to root out sin. And rooting out sin is almost always painful. Most of the time it's really embarrassing but it's always purifying to our relationship with God. And so for us as self-protected, self-interested people, when something is painful and embarrassing, we want to not do that. And so the truth of who you are and who I am is this that rooting out sin is hard work that's painful and embarrassing. And so we don't want to do it. And so if we don't war at what we value, we won't do it. Am I making sense there? Like we, valuing truth in such a way to root out sin is something that brings pain to us. And so we don't do it. We don't spend our time, our money, our energy on rooting out sin because we're self-interested. But we're self-interested in a in a half-hearted way, because we don't believe Psalm 139. If God is all-knowing and all good, then the truth is already there. It's a matter of us coming to grips with it or not. And at the end of rooted-out sin is purified joy with the Father. And therefore, if we really value our joy, if we're really self-interested, And we ought to be engaging in any way that we can to root out the sin in our lives. And I am a a hypocritical man. Because most of the time, giving a a choice of engaging a place of sin that God has brought me to in a real way that's going to root it out and cause me pain or embarrassment, I will choose to not engage that truth because I'm I'm short-sightedly self-interested and so are you but if we really value truth we will engage rooting out sin we get in our way so easily this this idea that I'm, I'm getting at here reminds me of a Keller quote I, I used a couple weeks ago. It says, God is my father, and he is totally for me without hesitation on his part. He is holy and completely for my good. Like, we can, we can like, you know, mm-hmm, yeah, mm yeah. But we're, we don't believe this. He's holy and completely for my good. When we do not see this as true, we see God as a boss or a, a heavy-handed, powerful ruler waiting to give us hurt or pointing out our faults. But he is a loving Father who is holy and completely for your good. Even when that means enduring hardship and pain and difficulty and stress and embarrassment. He is wholly and completely for your good. I want to restate verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Valuing truth ends with a more personal relationship with God. Valuing truth ends in a more personal, pure relationship with God. I want to tell you a story. This week on Thursday night, I was driving Mia to dance practice. And uh, it's about a 10, 15 minute drive. Driving there and she says to me at the beginning of the drive, Daddy, can I have a quarter or 50 cents? And you need to know that at Mia's dance studio, there's a little M&M machine you put a quarter in. It'll give you like seven or eight M&Ms. She says, Daddy, can I have a quarter or 50 cents? I said, why do you want a quarter or 50 cents, sweetheart? I know the answer. Psalm 139. She says... I don't know, Daddy. I just want a quarter of 50 cents. And so I ignore her. I don't, I don't give her an answer. A couple minutes later, Daddy, I really want a quarter of 50 cents. Can, would you give me a quarter of 50 cents? Do you know, in my heart, I want to give that child seven or eight M&Ms desperately? I deeply want to give her M&Ms. I say, why, sweetheart? Why do you want a quarter of 50 cents? I don't know, Daddy, I just want a quarter of 50 cents. Again, I ignore her. Again, I know exactly why she wants a quarter of 50 cents. We're two minutes from the studio. She says again, Daddy, can I have a quarter or 50 cents? Sweetheart, why do you want a quarter of 50 cents? I don't know, Daddy. I just want a quarter of 50 cents. And as we stopped the car, I turned around and said, I know why you want a quarter of 50 cents. You want M&Ms, don't you? Yes. Did you, did you lie to me, sweetheart, that you, you really didn't know why you wanted a quarter of 50 cents? You knew the first time you asked me why you wanted a quarter of 50 cents, right? Yes, Daddy, I did. And so we sat there in the parking lot, and I talked to her about how I wanted to give her a a handful of M&M's and I wanted to make her happy to give her a handful of M&M's and I told her how she didn't trust that I wanted the best for her and I told her that all she needs to do is to be truthful and honest with me and it's a silly sweet little story especially when you think of cute little Mia right but it's so exposing of her heart's when we're dishonest with God, when we're dishonest with ourselves, we're saying to you, saying to our God, I do not believe. I do not believe that you are my father and want the best for me. I don't believe it. And that as, as a dad of, of Mia in particular, that breaks my heart. I need her. It's so important for her to know how much I love her. And how much I want to protect her. And how much I want to give her the very best. And that's so exposing to my heart. And I'm the same way with God. Valuing truth. This is like, what's, what's on the screen? Valuing truth ends with more pure relationship with God. That is like, that's... A, a memorable phrase and, and written in such a way so you'll remember it in a, a quick-hitting way, but it's it's so true, and we've got to believe it. And we've got to reorder our lives around its truth. We've got to spend all that we are to gain this sort of truth. Because God wants to give you a quarter or fifty cents. The last thing I want us to see, and we're going to get to another piece of scripture to to teach us this, is we hide from truth because we believe a lie that God will not get us what we want. We hide from truth because we believe a lie that God will not get us what we want. Just like Mia sitting in the backseat of my car. She believed a lie that I would not give her what she wants, what she needs a pastor in Philadelphia named Eric Mason says this we have to admit something exists before we can apply the gospel to it we have to admit that we hide truth from ourselves and from people and from God because we don't believe who he is who he says he is we have to see it and understand it and have it pointed out to us before we can apply the gospel to it. Um, I want to read from Second Samuel. It's going to be on the screen, so don't try to turn there. You can, if you want. I don't care. Second Samuel verse, or chapter 12, verse one. Read a story about something really hard and painful and embarrassing. To the guy who wrote Psalm 139. And the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. By the way, I want to set this up a little bit. David had just um, had an adulterous affair and impregnated the wife of a guy named Uriah. He was supposed to be in battle. He was at home instead. He lusted after this woman named Bathsheba, had sex with her. She, was, she had a kid. She got pregnant. He found out that she got pregnant. He brought her husband back and tried to get him to engage with his wife so that they could blame the pregnancy on him. He wouldn't do it. David sent him back to the battlefield to a place where he knew he would get killed. He got killed. David took Bathsheba as his wife. Awful, terrible thing. He's a scoundrel. And David is hiding from this truth about his, the depth of his depravity. When Nathan, a trusted servant and a friend who had permission to speak to David, came to him and said, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor, the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. He used to eat of its morsel and drink from its cup and lie in its arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there, was, there came a man, a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it, For the man who had come to him. In other words, he slaughtered that guy's one and only lamb so that he could feed him the lamb for dinner. Verse 5 Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As sure as the Lord lives, this man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to the man, Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? to do what is evil in his sight, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun." For you did it secretly, but this I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Here's, here's the, the truth of all that awful, terrible story. The last verse. Do you see it? The Lord has put away your sin. The Lord has put away your sin. Unless we recognize that we value truth and convince ourselves in such a way that we make sacrifices and spend our resources in order to attain it and are willing to hurt and be embarrassed to attain truth, We are always protecting self and protecting our autonomy and protecting our authority. So we hide from self. We hide from each other in order to protect those things and keep our blind spots hidden. David did that, and he had community around him by the name of Nathan to bring this in front of him. And the result of that is Psalm 51, which echoes Forever, in Scripture, like I, I need you to—I need you to hear that. Psalm fifty-one has been an incredible voice of God to my heart in many times of of sin, and it's the result of one guy Nathan speaking truth to one guy David, and both of them together appreciating and sacrificing and spending to gain truth and the result is the product is psalm 51 that echoes in the 2015 and since psalm 51 is a beautiful illustration of honest community honest repentance And it comes from two men living in community, valuing truth in self and each other. And the result is glorious relationship with man and with God. Let me read it for you and we'll be finished. Have mercy on me, O God. And again, remember, this is David's prayer after this confrontation with Nathan. And this apprehension of the truth that God has put away his sin. Have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. Look at the exposition of who God is and the exposition of who David is. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. The acknowledgement of the truth here is that God is capable of that and that I have something to be cleansed from. Knowledge of truth and self. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I have acknowledged who I am. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth in my inward being. Do you see that? You delight in truth in the inward being. Do you want God to delight in you? Well, he does anyway. Whether you want it or not, he does. But what he really takes delight in is the exposition of the truth of the depth of your depravity so that he can put his grace on display by saying, your sin is put away. Thank you, I didn't have to hold the sign up. Verse 6, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. That should be enough to cause you to want to value truth, by the way. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Exposing yourself to truth of scripture in prayer and meditation and thought and living in community that's willing to speak truth to you brings you to a place where God speaks wisdom in your secret heart. And this is the result. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. God is willing and able to clean you. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. That's a, that's a phrase that I, I've never been able to get past. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. God brings pain into your life to bring you to this place, to expose truth in you and to have friends expose truth in you and you expose truth in them. And so that echoes for thousands of years. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, exposing truth again about who God is and who you are. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. There's angst in this prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Do you know that God is willing and able to restore the joy of your salvation? Then, as a result of this, I will teach transgressors your way. Do you see Rick Maxidon standing up here? This is me. This is truth applied to me. And this causes me to want to go and shout this. There's angst. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Open my lips, O Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. There's some religious words in there. Let me tell you what he's saying there. When you realize the truth of who you are, God likes that. And he gives himself to you because of that. Verse 18, do good, O Zion, in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's pray and respond to our beautiful God. You are an amazing and wonderful and perfect and holy God. God, please lead us to your truth. God, please lead us to your truth. God, please convince us of the value of your truth. Expose in us the lies, the darkness, the things that we're willing to hide from ourselves and try to hide from you and hide from each other. Expose those things, oh God. Because rooting out sin brings joy, brings perfect relationship with you. God, may may we be willing to do the work necessitated to get us to that place. God, teach us to be really self-interested creatures. Because to be totally and completely self-interested is to value truth. Because at the other end of apprehension of truth is the way we were created to live. God, teach us that. Teach my heart that in every circumstance. God, you are beautiful. God, give us what is needed to engage in community groups this week and engage this idea, this concept in community, Father. Protect us against this encounter that we've had with you, Father, and that leading us to ignoring it, God. We're good at that. God, allow us to to live in real community that brings glory to you and truth to us. Jesus, you are good. And you are holy and completely for our good. Guide us now as we respond in Christ's name.